Ryan Nurse, a walking miracle, riveting near-death experience and triumph over depression. Welcome to the Wellness Driven Life Show. In this groundbreaking two-part series, we sit down with Ryan Nurse, who is nothing short of a walking miracle. Ryan vividly shares his experience, his captivating out-of-body experience, painting a picture that will leave you on the edge of your seat. But his journey doesn't end there. Ryan also opens up about his battle with severe depression and how it transformed him, propelling him from his despair into a journey of progression and self-discovery. Take advantage of part one of this incredibly inspiring story and stay tuned for part two. Welcome to the Wellness Driven Life Show, where you're about to go on a wellness-driven ride. Welcome to Candy Apple Advocacy, the podcast for parents who want to advocate for their children's education. I'm Jim Mallard, and I'm here with my wife, Tabby. We've been through the trenches of raising kids in the school system and know how tough it can be, but we also know how essential it is to advocate for your child and their education. That's why we started this podcast, to share our experiences and insights with other parents to help them become more effective advocates for their children. On this podcast, we'll talk about everything from general education, general school advice, the school choices you have available to you, different education styles, individualized education plans, 504s, and all those key terms that you've heard but don't know what they are. We'll talk to experts. We'll also talk to parents and hear their stories. We'll share our stories with you and give you tools you need to be a strong advocate for your child and yourself. Whether you're a new parent, or have been in the game for a while, we invite you to join our community. Let's advocate together. I'm so excited to introduce our guest to you today. Ryan Nurse is a traumatic brain injury survivor and mental health advocate who has successfully battled depression. As a motivational speaker and coach, he assists young adults in their 20s and 30s to find their purpose. By crafting a precise roadmap, towards a fulfilling future. His most significant achievement was recovery from a coma with zero brain activity, a testament to his resilience. He parallels his experience and those who have unconsciously given up on their lives, aiming to inspire them to reclaim control. Please help me welcome Ryan Nurse. Hey, Ryan, how are you? Welcome to the Wellness Driven Life Show. Hello, thank you so much for having me. And what an amazing intro that was. It sounded absolutely beautiful coming from somebody else. So thank you. And I really appreciate you. And I appreciate everybody else for being here today. 
Oh, it's definitely a pleasure. We're so excited to share your story and your journey. You have something very, very unique that the majority of human beings do not experience. And because of that, you're showing up so brightly in the world and being, yes, that testament to we can really live a great existence. So being the light for others is so powerful. Now let's share with the audience a little bit more about you. I want to give them a little more insight about who you are, Ryan. Yeah, of course. Uh, I'll just start by saying a little bit about myself. So my name is Ryan Nurse and I am a traumatic brain injury survivor and thriver who's also suffered from and overcome depression after a relationship breakup. I literally took my life from depression to progression and now use my wounds as wisdom to inspire, empower and guide confused adults in their 20s and 30s towards a future of fulfillment. So let's just begin by talking a little bit about my life, say, growing up as a child. I was that, say, crazy kid, the kid that would go out there and do anything and everything, the daring kid. But I was very confused because unlike many kids, I didn't have any goals or dreams. I didn't want to be an astronaut or a police officer or a fireman, for instance. I didn't know what I wanted to be. And then when it comes to, say, growing up in my uh, later teenage years, for instance, and when it comes to actually choosing a career, I was a bit confused for options. I had no clarity for what I wanted to achieve in my life. And as a result of that, it led me down a path to become a car mechanic. And yeah, I, I went into that job for a couple of years, which was to do my apprenticeship scheme. And at the start, it was okay because I was progressing. And in life, it's progress that equals happiness. So as mm. I was progressing, I was enjoying my, my work. But then a couple of years after, something happened at 18 years old that literally turned my life around. Mm, Ryan, I really love, first off, that you talk about progression. And, and I think that that is truly a key and as I, I learn and grow from others that I have on the show and for myself and reading a lot of literature on self-development, that, that truly, again, is a key. When we are progressing and we are just doing things that we feel good about, that we feel like we're growing through, and it gives us something to wake up for you know, at each day and we're like, okay, this is, this is the next step in whatever I'm doing. It, it has a, a dramatic impact on how we show up in the world. Now you, you talk about how you experienced this, this life altering event. Let's talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, of course. And what you said there was absolutely incredible and I totally agree. So today I want to share with you and the audience here today, how sometimes your most profound periods of pain can also turn out to be your greatest gifts of growth. Because adversity can quite often turn out to be a blessing in disguise. And from my own personal experience, I've found that adversity is the prerequisite to growth, success, and true happiness. Mm. I believe that hidden at the very core of adversity is the key to progress and lifelong happiness. It isn't going to be easy to find this key, but once you have obtained it, it will unlock the barrier to your next level of life. You know what I love about that is it is extraordinarily inspiring. And because there, there are a lot of people who are going through extreme 
adversity aspects in their life, you know, and they, they feel like they don't have the one up and you're saying that that is, that is the one thing that you have to have in order to, to really give the boost up in life, to show up as brightly in the world as they can. Like you have to have those experiences in order to. Yeah. But the thing is as well, as much as you have to grow through what you go through, many people are waiting for this rock bottom, which I'll be speaking about soon. They're waiting for disasters to strike to then decide to reshape their reality. You know, like mm. you don't have to wait for calamity to change your reality. Like you can change at any point at all. Um, so this is what, what I'm going to be talking about today, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I, and you know, I, I would wonder though, is it, is it that you, that people are, are waiting or it's just that they don't actually finally make some sort of change or adjustment until something drastic and, and awful happens in their life? Yeah. I mean, look, look, I, I've been there myself and I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for those awful things. So many of us maybe are not waiting, but on the other hand, we're not looking like if you're not looking for an exit from the say current reality that you're not enjoying then one day it's going to hit you and you're not going to have a choice but to change so we're going to be talking about this today so i cannot wait i think it's easy for people to get very complacent you know in mm. life where we get very familiar with the things that we do it's almost this robotic approach to everything that we do right and and you've mentioned before that that people are kind of on this um, this level, this unconscious level of showing up in the world where they they're really not aware of what can be possible for them. And I think that it's also in maybe a curiosity state to where we're able to look at other things. What was your experience with that initially? How did you get to the point where you realized that that there's something so much more? Yeah, no, of course. And like, look, I was there myself. And I was saying to myself, for instance, every year as that car mechanic, which I was from a very young age, every year I would tell myself when it comes to Christmas, New Year, I'm going to quit this job. I'm going to quit this job. And I never done it. 13 years I was in that career, over a decade in a totally unfulfilling and not progressing career and I stay mm. stuck and you know you don't have to wait for a disaster like this is why I want to teach people about not having to wait for say something awful to happen you don't have to wait for literally a tragedy to then change your trajectory so for me I was just waiting year on year saying I'm gonna quit my job I'm gonna quit my job and then Two things happened in my life, and I'm going to talk about the first one, but then more years went by, and then the second one happened, and even the third thing, which wiped me out, and then I hit rock bottom, was when I made the change. So you're saying that like, when we go through certain experiences, it, sometimes it's not just the first big experience where, where we start to truly create transformation in our life, but it happens to be oftentimes more than one event. It's, it's the first big event, then the second big event, and then the third, the whammy, like you're talking about. And yes. to where we, we really get the, the signal 
the hey wake up the call literally so what's going to happen is like pain is a messenger and it's telling you that what you're currently doing isn't right for you and it shows up in different ways for instance the first message is ryan ryan this isn't this isn't for you like it's like a tap on the shoulder ryan wake up wake up and then it starts to be like a punch ryan wake up wake up and then out of the blue it's a lorry comes it's a 10 ton truck and it wipes you clean out and it smashes you to bits and you've got no other choice but to change your life and you don't even get a chance to choose what you want to do it's literally you need to change now and it's usually coming from a place of desperation but you can use desperation as inspiration and motivation oh i like that you can use desperation for inspiration and motivation that's very very powerful as you know when we're in it it is very difficult to be able to see any light at the end of the tunnel because you're you're coming from that desperation that you know you know anxiety the the we feel like there's nothing else that we can do sort of place oftentimes and so i really like how you word that and how you play the um play on those words because it's easy to remember and i think that as long as somebody is listening to this and they happen to be in that moment of time where where life is very very challenging then you know use that to propel you. Um, so you have talked about you, you were stuck in this career field where you were not satisfied. You weren't happy. And I also feel that many, many people get to that point where, you know, you're young, you don't know what you want to be when you grow up, you know, and it, it, we, we put ourselves in these positions because we think that we're making the right choice or, you know, and decision and that we need to put food on the table so we continue in that routine of really unhappiness. And so what was it that happened for you where where you finally said, okay, I'm going to shift and I'm going to I'm going to do something different here. Okay, so there was two or even three, maybe four big events that happened in my life. So I'm going to talk about the first event which I mentioned is the brain injury. Mm. So let's just talk about this for now. So I want to take you back now to 2011. And as an 18-year-old boy in 2011, I used to go out parties and clubs and bars and restaurants with friends, as you do as an 18-year-old. Super excited to go out on the weekends with friends, etc. And one night I went to a local club with a group of friends and for some odd reason, there was these guys in the club, because we go to the club every weekend and we knew each other. Mm. But there were some guys there who were out to cause trouble. You could see they wanted to cause trouble with everyone for no reason. And there was a bit of an argument with them and my older friends. So this argument got separated and everything was fine. And me and my younger friends, we left the club and we got into a taxi. And we went to make it back to the safety of our parents' homes. And as we was leaving the club car park, these guys, these older guys, they come out and they removed us from the taxi. So after a bit of a disagreement, we thought it's only right if we just get into a separate vehicle to make it back to the comfort of our parents' homes. So we got into this separate taxi and we come out of the car park and we went left and left again onto a dark, unlit road. And as we're driving down this road, we noticed straight away that the same bright white headlights 
from that same vehicle that we just got extracted from was up behind us and it filled the entire of our vehicle with these bright white shining light mm. and then suddenly there was this loud angry voice come through to the driver's walkie-talkie saying that we should pull over so we was looking at each other and we was confused we was scared we didn't know what to do and our driver began to pull the vehicle over so now we're asking the driver like why are you stopping what is the reason for you to stop the car but he didn't answer he just remained silent. So we pulled up onto the curb and we stopped. And that same vehicle that we just got removed from with these guys in it pulled up behind us and they switched the headlights off. So now sat there in complete darkness and silence, there was this eerie sound of silence and we didn't know what to do. But then out of nowhere, we hear a loud, angry thump on the passenger front window of the vehicle. And my friend opened the window to see what the issue was. And as he opened the window, he began to get punched through that window. Mm. So I done what any normal friend would do whilst panicking, obviously, which was to open my door to try and stop this madness from happening. But as I opened my door, I was greeted with the same fist. I hadn't even had a chance to take my seatbelt off. So I was locked to the back of my seat. I couldn't move. I was being pummeled in the, in the left side of my head. It was like a hammer to the head, multiple pummels. And I was like a sitting duck. I was scared. I was panicking. At one point, I was just thinking, Ryan, this is how you're going to die. Like, this is how you are going to die. And I was nervously trying to undo the buckle and it was locked. I couldn't do it. But I was getting punched in the head. I couldn't move. I thought, Ryan, you need to get this buckle undone. You need to get this buckle undone. And thankfully for me, I popped the buckle. And as soon as the belt released, the pummeling stopped. And I managed to get out the other side of the vehicle. And I run down to a separate road. And as I look back, it was like something out of a movie. I just saw my friends being beaten up by these guys. So I run and I called a friend. And I was like, you need to come and pick us up now. And as I'm stood there in this bush trying to hide, my heavy head is just spinning round and round in circles. But there was no damage to the side of my head, no, no bleeding, no blood or anything. So my friend come and picked me up and he started to drive me back to my parents' home. And the whole way back, my heavy head was just spinning round in circles. And they were telling me that they're going to take me to hospital, but I just wanted to go back home to bed. And I couldn't keep my head up. It was just dropping down. And I just lent it against the window and I just held it against the window. And as we arrived back to my parents' house, my friends were just like, please let us take you to hospital. But I said, no, look, I'll be fine in the morning. I've been beaten up. I've had a couple of beers. I'll be totally fine in the morning. But the last thing that I remember was putting my hand on the, the handle of my parents' front door and stepping through. And then after that, I just blacked out. Wow. So now I can only talk to you from my parents' point of view. Oh, my gosh. Brian, that is such a profound deep story. And, you know, not said lightly, you say it very, very well. You describe your experience extremely well for us. Thank you so much for sharing. And it, like you said, it, it was like I was in a movie and it is almost Halloween. And so I, I was getting a little scared as if I'm watching this, 
this horrible, scary flick. And that was your experience. And I'm so sorry that you experienced that. It's interesting. Um, the, the, the time framing was back when I was in, it was my law enforcement days. So I too got to experience, uh, you know, things that weren't great to be seeing. So, you know, the, the time period is interesting to me because I experienced some of those things, although I wasn't on that, that end where I was pummeled or anything, but I saw a lot of horrible things, domestic violence, car wrecks, et cetera, et cetera, suicides. And, you know, your experience is just really profound. And now we're going to walk into what it was like for your parents' point of view. So let's continue on with that. Thank you, my friend. And yes, of course. So like I say, now I can only talk to you from my parents' point of view because obviously I was unconscious at this point. So I return home apparently and I walk up to the stairs as I always do into the bedroom and I get undressed. I fold my clothes up neatly. I put all my things on the side and I get into bed. And my mum, being my mum, she always waited us up for us kids when we go out to a club or a bar, for instance. And she knew that I wasn't home at the sort of similar time that I'd always been home. And she just knew deep down those maternal instincts. She knew something wasn't quite right. So she monitored me. And over the next minutes and hours that went by, some things started to happen, which my mum wasn't too sure about. There was some heavy, heavy snoring. And just something didn't seem right. And then suddenly I started to vomit, this jet black vomit. And it was mm. almost projectile vomit. So my mum's there, my dad's there, my, my, my younger brother's there, seeing this whole thing happen. And my mum's saying to my dad, look, this isn't right. Something's really wrong with Ryan. But my dad, being my, my dad, just says, look, he's gone out. He's had so much to drink. He's probably been drinking black Zambuca shots. And now he's paying the price for it. Mm. But, but my mum just deep down knew something wasn't quite right. Yeah. But then... As mothers do. <laughs> As mothers do. Of course. But then, thankfully for me, my older brother gets uh, a message from a friend to say, how is Ryan doing? Is he okay? What do you mean? Why, why wouldn't he be okay? Oh, well, there was a huge fight and he got beaten up. So my brother's straight on the phone to my mum. Look, go and wake Ryan up and make sure he's okay. So this is when they come into the room again and they couldn't wake me up. I was totally unresponsive. So just imagine what my parents must have been thinking in that moment. So they get on the phone to the emergency services and they get the ambulance to come straight away. And before you know it, my dad said it was like, again, a movie or a TV show. There was ambulances. There was many ambulances, many paramedics. There was sirens. There was walkie-talkies. There was beeping. There was all these crazy noises. And before you know it, I was on a stretcher and I was taken down and put into the back of the ambulance. So my dad stayed at home with my, my siblings to make sure the, sort of the ship stayed running was my mum got into a separate ambulance and followed me straight to the nearest hospital. And as I arrived, I was taken straight into the hospital and my poor mum, she had to wait in the waiting room. As she sat there alone, all of these thoughts were going around in her mind thinking, what's going on with Ryan? What's happened to my, my poor boy? But then as the time went by, she heard a noise and she heard a voice down the corridor and she said, it's Ryan's voice. So straight away she was lifted up and she felt relieved as she could hear my voice. So she starts walking down the corridor 
And she goes into the room where this voice was coming from. But then straight away, she noticed that it was not my voice. So she went from here straight back down to rock bottom. Mm. And as she sat in that waiting room, she's asking the paramedics, the nurses, the doctors, what's happening with my son? And nobody told her anything. But then it got to a point where they came out and they said, look, Ryan's gone through a severe head injury and we're going to have to transfer him to the specialist hospital via air ambulance for an emergency brain operation straight mm. away. Wow. So you- That's, um, that it would be very, very difficult for a parent to hear and experience and listen to. And yeah, it sounds to me like you, you weren't even in the area to where you could receive that emergency uh, surgery that you needed right away. So I think that that is, it's a beautiful testament to how everything worked out for you. I mean, you're here and just in the nick of time, right? Yeah, of course. So like for me, I went back that evening, the night before, but bearing in mind, I'd sat there with this head injury for many, many hours. I believe by the time I got to the hospital, the special or the first hospital, it was around say midday, I believe 11 o'clock midday. So bearing in mind, I've been sat in my bed, literally dying. And I'm going to talk about this now. So they come out and they said to my mum, we're going to have to transfer him to the, uh, the specialist hospital, which is one, two hours away. And my mum's just thinking, oh, my God, what is happening? So then they chose to take me via the ambulance on the blues and twos with the flashing lights and to rush me there. And as they did, my mum got into the separate. I went to go outside and my dad arrived. So thankfully, my dad was there also. And they both followed the ambulance with me in it in pursuit. So obviously they arrived at the hospital, but I arrived first and I arrived and I went straight in. And as I went in, obviously I had to go in for an emergency brain operation because I suffered from a fractured skull and a blood clot due to a bleed on the brain. Mm. So the doctors had to operate on me and I was put into a a coma, an induced coma because of the, the severity of the injuries. So as my parents arrived later that afternoon, they were searching for me and they couldn't find me anywhere. My dad was stressing out. My mum was stressing. They were looking for me and they didn't know where I was. But then they finally managed to locate me and they didn't get to see me until 6 p.m. that evening. And I was laying there in the intensive care unit in a coma on the life support machine. And as the doctors come up to my parents, the specialists, they said, look, because of the severity of these injuries, we really prepare for the worst case scenarios. And we'd highly suggest that you go home and tell your loved ones, like, this is the end of the road for Ryan. Like, it's not looking likely that he's going to be here in the morning. Mm. So, yeah, then, um, so they, they were preparing for basically your death and, and they were probably expecting that because that's what they've been told. Yeah. So just imagine the two hour drive home from that hospital, the specialist hospital, my parents just drove home in complete silence. So just imagine mm-hmm. anyone that's a parent that's listening to this now. Just imagine those thoughts, those feelings, those emotions that are rushing around my parents' bodies. I can only imagine what anyone was feeling in that moment where their son is laying there, basically dead, and doctors say he's not going to be here tomorrow. Just imagine 
that conversation that they had to go back and tell all of my friends, my family, my, my younger brother, I believe, was nine years old at the time. Imagine having to telling sibling, my brother, hey, your brother's not going to be here tomorrow. Like, I can only imagine what my parents must have been going through at that time. So they obviously went home and told everyone the bad news. But then they turned up the second day and it was the same. I hadn't done anything. I hadn't improved. And I was just laying there on the life support machine. However, the third day, before my parents even had time to even go to the hospital, the doctors called my parents and said, you need to come up because we need to tell you some news. So my parents were sort of expecting the worst case. So they, they left my siblings at home and it was just uh, my, my, my parents and my grandparents. And as they arrived to the hospital on the third day, they walk into the intensive care unit and got taken into this smaller room at the side. And as they walk in and sit, sat down, the specialist that done the brain operation on me said, look, because of the severity of Ryan's injuries and because he's got completely zero brain activity, we would highly suggest that you consider turning the life support machine off on his life because there's no way that he's coming back from this. And straight away, my dad, he stood up and he said, no fucking way. I know Ryan more than any of you know Ryan. And Ryan takes his own time to do anything in life. Mm. So you need to give him that time. And that specialist, he didn't know what to say. He just looked at my dad like, and my dad said, no, you don't tell me. I own this machine. I'll tell you when it gets turned off. You need to give him more time. So by my dad doing it, it literally saved my life. That is so beautiful. I... I think that that's very, very powerful. He wasn't going to say no or just allow the advice of somebody else to take over. He really was listening to his heart and his intuition. And as a parent, knowing his son, Ryan takes his sweet time to do anything. And I think that that is really, really cool. It's a beautiful story of a parent and, and truly knowing their child and knowing when to say and stand up for what they believe is right. So how long did it take? Well, so moving on after my dad said no, obviously they said, okay, we're going to try a few more days. We'll see what happens. Um, the Glasgow Coma Scale, I believe it's called. I was literally um, dead, basically. So they said, let's see for any improvements. So over the next few days, there was sort of minimal movements. I maybe twitched a finger or twitched a toe. And in total, I was in the coma for one week. So as I'm twitching these toes, for instance. But you're saying zero brain activity. Zero. I started with zero brain activity, but then literally each day I started to improve. Started to just a small amount. So yeah, it started with a twitch of the thumb, twitch of the toe, but I was progressing very rapidly. Like every single day I'd progress. So yeah, it started with these switches. And then it got to the point later that week where it was like they started to ask me questions and like my head would just shake a tiny bit, either yes or no. So they're keeping talking to me. My family are just talking to me, asking questions. Do you own a car? Do you own a motorbike? And I'd either nod my head or twitch my just a tiny little bit. So they knew there was there was there was life there basically. But the doctors were still adamant that I was I was dead. They were saying, no, he's not coming back from this. But then one day, my grandmother, who look, when we were children, we never got on the wrong side of my grandmother because you're gonna get a smack bum. <laughs> like you don't want to mess, you don't want to mess with, with my grandma, you know. So one day she comes and she leant down into my right ear 
and she got close and she went, Ryan, open your eyes. And apparently I was laying there and one eye just went like this. And I stare at everybody and they just cheer, cheers of joy. So they run to the doctors and they're screaming, they're saying, Ryan's just opened his eyes. And the doctor said, look, no, this is nothing. This is all electrical impulses. He's, he's still completely dead. What? He's not they coming back from this. My, my parents said, look, he, we just told him to open his eyes and he's just opened his eyes. Yeah. And they said, look, this is all electrical impulses. So then the specialists come again and they say, look, we don't want to give you false hope. And if miraculously Ryan does come back from this, he will never walk or talk again. And he will be in a vegetative state for the rest of his life. Like he's going to need constant round of care, care and attention. And he's not going to remember who anybody is. So really, you need to prepare for the worst case scenario. Whatever. My parents so didn't give up. Yeah, they're constantly being pumped full of this, this negative, uh, yes. like impossibility. Uh, and, and yet they are, are hopeful and they're sticking with it. And I love the, the talk about your grandmother and how, you know, she, she was the woman who, who you feared a little bit, you know, it's that, that love fear sort of thing. And, and it's, it's brilliant because I can relate with that with my own grandmother. And, um, and then you, you just responded her, her, her telling you, open your eyes. Yeah. So obviously that happened. My parents, like you mentioned the word hope, which really stood out for me. Like my parents had hope. They were hopeful. So even though doctors were constantly bomb bombarding them with this negativity news saying, look, he's not going to wake up. He's not going to do this. He's not, he's not, he's not. My parents had hope and they didn't give up on me. Like they had hope. They had something inside. And I believe in life that we all need hope to cope. Because hope stands for have only positive expectations. Mm. But we have to have hope. And that's what my parents had in that moment. They had hope. So they kept yeah. that life support machine on. And then it got to the day where the doctors said that they're going to decide to reduce the sedation to bring me out of the coma. So then all of my friends and family that day, they come to the hospital and there was tons of them. And they were so hopeful because this was the day that they expected me to wake up. Wow. What a very, very powerful story. Gosh, you have me on the edge of the seat. You know, people can't always see me during the time that you're saying it, but I'm really leaning in. I'm just like, wow, this is fascinating. It's probably one of the most in-depth and fascinating stories that we have had, experiences that we have had on the show thus far. So I, I'm so excited and thrilled to continue listening to more. This is a, a beautiful story. And Ryan, you have a book that's going to be coming out, you know, at the close of this year, beginning of next year. It's coming soon. I'm very, very excited. And I feel truly honored to have you here to share your experience with us now. Yeah, look, I, I really appreciate you for that. And yes, I have a book coming out, hopefully for Christmas is my plan to get it ready for Christmas. Um, and this book is literally for someone in their, say, 20s, 30s, older, even younger to design the life of their dreams. This book is a user manual. It's a guidebook to guide you through the process of creating a future of fulfillment by starting with creating a solid set of foundations for you to then build on.
Well, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm wondering too, you really gear towards, you know, a younger community. Is that because you really had so much of this experience in your younger years and you want to be able to really pro propel us as, you, you know, a, a, a as a species, I, I would say, you know, to really give some hope and insight for the people who are really creating our future. Yeah, of course. Like for me, my target audience is, like I say, 20s all the way through to probably 40 years old, even younger, older. I've worked with both. I've inspired both. And the reason I say this is my target audience, because when you are, say, younger, when you say don't have these commitments, you are more able to make, say, more daring decisions in your life. For instance, you can push the boat when it comes to financial decisions. You can say quit a job, for instance, because you have time on your hands. Obviously, when you do get a little bit older, you're more likely to have kids, for instance. You're more likely to have other commitments financially. So this is why this is my target audience, because I believe if you change your life at these younger years, you're more likely to go on to live fulfilling in the future and not face these things which we know as say midlife crises for instance but mm. as i mentioned this anyone listening don't ever let your age be your cage because as long as your beautiful heart is still beating you can transform your life at any age so do not let your age be your cage Ryan, you have so many incredible ways to say things. There's a lot of brilliance within you, and, and I appreciate that greatly. Don't let your age be your cage. That is so awesome to be able to say, and, and I love that because it is something that we oftentimes, and truly, no matter what age we are, we, we set ourselves back because we have this idea that we're, we're supposed to be here, we're supposed to be doing that, or this or that based on societal standards. And it, it is, is a very sad thing. So like you said, don't let your age be your cage. Yes. And like, look, we're going to be talking about this later in the conversation today. So I'm going to carry on back from where I was there about the reducing the sedation. The moment my friends believed that I was going to wake up. So all of my friends, all of my family come to the hospital this day to reduce the sedation, to bring me out of the coma. But as soon as doctors done it, I wasn't breathing by myself. My lungs weren't functioning and I had to be put straight back into the coma. So yet again, the doctors, the specialists said to my parents, my friends, my family, this is the end of the road for Ryan. Like, we're so sad and so sorry for you, but he's not working. Like, he's, he's not going to survive this. But again, my parents, they said, no, no, you need to give him more time. You need to try again tomorrow. And how much time, remind me, Ryan, had gone by? You know, so how I, I, this was literally a one week period. Okay. Where they said I would never wake up. So they give me a week and they said, look, because they've reduced the sedation, the day that I didn't breathe by myself and I had to be put back into the coma, they say, this is it. He's not coming back from this ever. Wow. So my parents yeah. said, no, you need to try again tomorrow. Okay. So for me, luckily, thankfully, my parents didn't give up and they said, tomorrow is the day. So again, my friends, my family, they arrive, reduce the sedation. And thankfully, I started to breathe by myself. And it wasn't like I just sat up and I was like, oh, hi, everyone. No, it was just a line on the screen saying, look, he's breathing. And this yeah. is it. So my, my friends and family just sat there glued to this screen. They wasn't even looking at me. They were just looking at the screen. 
Wow, he's a lot. That's what they were just thinking. But then yeah. for me, because I was in that coma, it took a little bit of time to come out of that coma, obviously. I was in the coma for one week, but to actually fully wake up, there was maybe another week period of actually waking up fully out of the sedation, out of the coma, which I'm going to talk to you about now. But just before I remember waking up for the first time, I was actually gifted an out-of-body experience. Oh, well, I 100% want to hear that. That is really exciting. You know, so many of us are curious about what is it like on the other side when we lift the veil because we we don't really get there unless we've gone through some extreme, you know, meditative state where where we've been doing it for years and years and years or we have a near death experience, right? And and it takes so much to be able to get to that point and see something other than and because we're energetic beings that we know that it's there but we just can't see it. So that is fascinating. And it sounds to me, Ryan, like you, and I want to touch on this a little bit because I think it's very important, but you had a very big support system. You're talking about friends and family, and they're not only supporting you from far away, but they're actually coming to you physically to support you as you're brought about. And the reason that I think that is very important is because I think that when many of us come together and we we place our intentions and our energy onto something, that miraculous things can happen. Do you agree? Wow, look, I, I, I totally agree with that. And support is everything in life. Like, you can't do this life on your own. If you can, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be sad. It's going to be upsetting. Like, you become the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. Like, we've heard it all before. Like you become who you surround yourself with because your surroundings are everything and more. So this is why it's so important to surround yourself with positivity, with people that are going to help you upgrade your life, your mindset, and just everything about your life. Because that support system is what helped me get through and to the other side. And look, people might be listening to this today and they say, oh, I don't have any family or I don't have any friends. Look, we're living in a world, there's 8 billion people. We've got technology, like you're probably watching this on a computer, on the phone. Reach out, reach out to people, find networking groups, push yourself out there and connect with people because at the end of your life, and I've been there, all you remember literally is how you impacted people and the connections that you made in your life, like the love you shared with the world and these amazing connections with the people that you shared them with. So connect with people that are on the same path as you and you're going to change your life completely. And again, I can talk about this later as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, the connections are, are just so uh, another key aspect that we have to have. And so I really appreciate that aspect of your story where you had this amazing support system for yourself. It, it definitely ties into the outcome, I believe. And so let's continue on with that journey. What was it like to have this out-of-body experience? Okay, so for me, I'm just going to talk now briefly. Back in the day, let's say when I was a 12, 11, 12-year-old boy, I hear this stuff on the news, on Reddit and papers, for instance, about these out-of-body experiences, people going to, the, to heaven or the, the, the different dimensions, etc. Look, I, I read this when I was a kid. I was like, ah, oh, this is made up. And we used to talk about it in the playground at school, like, 
oh, when you die, you walk up the stairs to heaven, and if you've been bad, God won't let you in. And if the gates open up, it means you're going to go to heaven. If it doesn't, you're going to hell, and all this, all these crazy things. And I was like, nah, when, when you're dead, you're dead. Like, that's all I believed for a long, long time. Yeah. And my biggest fear was death for a long, long time also. But then experience this out-of-body experience and what I saw in this mental movie or whatever it was, I don't even know what this was. But it was so profound. It was so precise. And it was so perfect that it made me question the whole existence of us as human beings. And I truly believe now that we as humans only really know the true meaning of life is when we face death. Mm. So let me talk about this now then. So as I'm laying there in a coma, I have this out-of-body experience. And this is what I see in this vision, in my mind, wherever I am in this place. I'm watching myself from above and I'm looking down at myself for a set of eyes that I don't know who they are. I believe it's the eyes of my creator. And I'm looking down at myself, laying on this hospital bed, being pushed down this cobbled street by these two black ladies and they're just talking in this unknown language and I've never heard it before. It's not Spanish, it's not French, it's not German. It's unknown. And they're having this heated conversation whilst pushing me down this cobbled street. And as I'm watching my body laying there on that, on that bed, my body's shaking and it's going to fall off. And I hear a whisper saying, they're going to drop him, they're going to drop him, they're going to drop him. And as I'm falling down this bed, I'm about to fall off. And as I'm about to fall off this bed, we make a sharp left turn for a giant set of sliding glass doors into this huge reception area. And as they're pushing me in, I'm watching them push me towards this receptionist who's pointing to her left. And everybody is talking in this unknown language. So then they turn right, obviously, with me on to the lady's left. And we start heading towards this brick wall in this reception area. And now I'm watching from across the reception and I'm looking at this whole thing unfold. And as these two ladies are pushing me towards this solid brick wall, they were getting faster and faster and faster, but they weren't moving anywhere. It was so difficult to explain because in this place, it was like there was no concept of time, space, speed, anything. Everything just existed and it was forever. There was no limitations in this place at all. And they're pushing me faster and faster and faster. And all I'm thinking as I'm watching from across the room is they're going to hit the wall. They're going to hit the wall. So I'm bracing and I'm bracing. And as they got faster and faster and faster, time just went by. And bam, they hit this wall and it opened up like a giant cat flap. And as it did, the bed lifted and my body slid through the wall. And oh. as, soon as, as soon as my body went through that wall, these eyes got sucked straight back into my body in this out-of-body experience and I'm now just falling through black, dark nothingness. And it was like I was doing a skydive with my eyes closed. I couldn't see anything and I'm just looking down at myself, falling through complete nothingness. And now I'm looking for answers. I'm looking around thinking, where am I? What is happening? And time went by. I don't know how much time. It could be one week, one day, one year, forever. I don't know. But as I'm falling and I'm looking for these answers, down in the left corner, as I'm looking so far down, I see this small glistening outline of this sort of square shape. 
and I'm moving towards it. It was almost like I was being magnetized to this shape and it was glistening and it was getting bigger and brighter, bigger and brighter. And I was getting closer to it. And it got to one point, it got so big and bright, I had to close my, my eyes because of the intensity. So I closed my eyes and as soon as I did, bam, I felt the soles of my feet hit this wall. What I can only say is another wall to another dimension. And bam, as I hit, as my feet, like the soles of my feet hit it, it was almost like I was on a slide, like a swimming pool or in a park. And I just slid through this slide and my body just went slap. And I landed straight on another hospital bed in this other dimension. And again, I'm looking down at myself from these other set of eyes, just viewing this whole experience. And I'm asking for answers again, what is happening? And as I'm looking at myself, just laying there in this bed, the doctors start to come in and they start to work on my immobile body. They start working on my head. And look, there's no pain. There's only peace and pleasure. As I'm watching, it was the mm. most beautiful thing that I've ever seen. And wow, it was incredible just to watch this whole experience unfold. And again, the doctors, they're talking in this unknown language and it went on forever. But then suddenly they start to dissipate. They start to go behind where I couldn't see. So as these set of eyes are watching my body that's just been operated on, I'm thinking, what happens next? And again, there was another transition. It was like inside my body, there was like the most powerful hoover inside and it was like sucking these eyes towards it. And it did. The transition happened and I'm laying there and I open my eyes in this out-of-body experience and I just sort of put my head up and I look around and I'm in this place. It's not really a room. It's not a place. It's just nothingness because there's no ceiling there's no walls it's just a giant curtain in front of me and just white everywhere and as i sort of look up and i look in front of me at this curtain that's right in front of my eyes i'm thinking what's happening and the time just went by and then suddenly is when the main part of the story happened oh wow okay so i was i was leaning in this entire time because you you just drew me into this experience that you're having. And you you talk about a lot of the same things that other people who have had this out-of-body uh, near-death experience and you, the distortion of time. They, you don't understand that. You're kind of going through different dimensions, so to speak. I mean, it's difficult for us to be able to describe what it feels like. And um, you know, I, I think I find it very interesting how, you know, the doctors are operating on you towards the end and you have, it's a great experience. It feels so good and, and it's blissful. And, and we've heard a lot of that as well with people's experiences. Like the light is oftentimes this profound sense of love and like this deepest love that you've never experienced before. And so I, I, I find this absolutely fascinating. And yes, you definitely drew me in. And it, it amazes me how well you're able to recall so much of it. And it's just fascinating to me. And I appreciate that very much when people do remember. I mean, many people have written books on it because you are able to remember. And, and that fascinates me because when we think about our dreaming states, you know, we, we, we go to that world and those dimensions in sleep, right? The restorative part of ourselves. And we don't always remember unless we're on a, on a consistent habit of 
writing it down each morning, then we're, we start to train ourselves to remember more. But if you're, if you're not doing that all the time, it can be difficult. So it's, it's very fascinating. Yeah. And thank you as well. And like, for me, again, I say it was like the most perfect mental movie that I've ever seen. Like it's, imagine watching your most favorite movie, like the movie that you would drop everything for just to watch. It was like watching that, but a million times better and in 10 billion times more profound HD quality, like everything, the quality of this experience was wow. Like everything was just so big and bright and amazing, you know? Well, you, you described in the very beginning that you, you, you could only say that it felt like the eyes of God. You were viewing yourself with what felt like maybe the, the eyes of, of God or creator or something bigger than yourself. And, and I think that is also too very fascinating. Yeah, of course. And look, for me, again, I just, I put trust in that experience. And when I was there, it was just like the most blissful thing. Like I say, blissful is definitely the word. Yeah. And it was almost like I didn't want it to end. It was so beautiful. But then I'm going to talk about now what happened when I actually got sucked back into my own body in this experience and I actually look up and see this curtain in front of my face. So again, in this whole out-of-body experience, I'm looking at this giant curtain around my, my bed in front of me and I'm just waiting. What, what's going to happen next? And I'm waiting. It could have been an hour, a minute, a day, a year. Who knows? I was just waiting forever. But then suddenly, this curtain slowly starts to open up. And as that curtain opens up, this supernatural, bright, white, glistening light just shines through again with such intensity. Wow, I close my eyes because it's almost heat from the light. Like, it's so hot, I can feel it. And I'm, I'm doing this, like, close my eyes. But then I could feel the intensity reducing. and I could feel that it was comfortable and it was okay to open my eyes. Mm. But when I sort of turned to look at the, what was in front of me, was when the most incredible thing that I've ever seen happened. I opened my eyes and I remember as I look out there, as far as the eye could see, literally this isn't a place, this is just imagine like the longest desert you could ever imagine, but even further. I'm looking out to this place that just went on forever. And as I looked out, up, down, left, right, everywhere I looked, I saw faces. I saw faces of every single person that I'd ever met in my life. It could have been person that I bumped into as a kid in London, wow. for instance, on a school trip, or it could have been a family friend from many years ago. But these faces were all in an order of importance. And as I look at them, it was, like I say, someone that I bumped into the street as a kid, an old school friend from however many years ago, 10 years ago, for instance. Then it was like family friends, family members. And then right at the very end of my bed, was my immediate family, the people that meant the very most to me. And I saw the faces of them and they were all just there. And as I look, every single face was just silently sobbing. It was just mm -hmm. tears running from the faces of every single face. And as I look out, panicking, nervous, upset, I didn't know what to do. I start panicking and I'm, my heart's beating. I'm thinking, what have I done wrong? Straight away I said, what have I done wrong? I've done something really, really wrong. So I start trying to grab their attention. I start waving. I start trying to speak, but no words are coming out of my voice. And I'm panicking. I'm saying, 
how can I grab their attention? So I'm doing this, I'm waving, I'm trying to grab their attention. But it was like they just looked straight through me. It was like I didn't even exist. Mm. And they just stared straight through me. And as I'm there, I'm just crying, I'm panicking, and tears are running down my face. And then it got to a point where I just give up on myself. I closed my eyes and I leant back on that pillow. And bam, as soon as my head hit that pillow, again, it was like that super suction was on my, on my head. That vacuum was glued to my head. And it just went, and it sucked the whole experience back out of my head and into wherever, the universe. It sucked the light, it sucked the people, the faces, the bed, everything up and out of my body. And it was just black, silent. And I was just laying there again in complete darkness, complete blackness. It was just a sound of silence. And again, I'm listening. I'm, I'm trying to look. I'm just observing the situation. What is it? But it was just nothing black. But then suddenly I can feel my body go from cold. Because in this place before it was cold. But now my body's starting to get warm. And I feel my skin, my body, my, my blood, my, my body's getting warmer. And then in the distance, I hear what I thought was an alarm clock. So I can only imagine, Ryan, you need to wake up for work. I'm thinking now in my head that it's a Saturday and I need to wake up for work. I thought I was late for work. So I was panicking. <laughs> I was saying, Ryan, in my head, Ryan, wake up. Ryan, you need to wake up. You're going to be late for work. And this alarm clock, which I believe to be, was getting louder and faster. Beep, 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 beep. I'm saying, Ryan, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up. I open my eyes. And now I'm back in the real world. And my body is just so painful and it's sore. And I start to move my body. It was just painful to move. But I'm looking around and I'm thinking, where am I? And again, I'm in this dark room laying on the bed with no windows, nothing really. And this noise is just going beep, beep, beep. And I'm just laying there thinking, what's happening? Where am I? Am I in a movie? Is this real? Am I still in this experience? Where am I? So I slowly look down. And I see needles penetrating my skin. I had a tube in my throat. And I'm thinking, what's happening? I had all these pads on my body. And as I looked to the left, the beeping noise was the life support machine that had been keeping me alive the whole mm. time. Mm. Wow. Absolutely. It's so descriptive. Ryan, is this in your book? This book that I'm bringing out now? No, not really. But... I actually was writing a book when I first started on this crazy journey that I've been on over the last three or four years, which is called Dying With Regrets, because that's a thought that got me out of depression in the future, what I'm going to talk about later. But this is about my whole life story. So this is going to be my next book, which is going to be out next year. So let's bear in mind, just keep that on hold at the moment, but this book is coming out. So I don't well, want to rush this book because there's going to be yeah. so much involved. I mean, gosh, I, I think we're going to make a movie out of this. I mean, this, I am. I am. It's on my vision board. <laughs> yep. There you go. See, I, I, this is absolutely going to happen and come into existence because you described this in such a, an incredibly beautiful, clear, 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 descriptive way. And, and I, and again, I feel so very honored to have you 
share the story on the Wellness Driven Life Show. And, you know, like my mind, and I'm sure many other people's minds are, are just starting to pick this apart, you know, this experience that you've had. It's like, well, what is the meaning? You know, us as human beings, we get so curious about what does it mean? Like, you know, to, to have this different language that we've never heard before. Like, what's the message there? And what does it mean when, you know, I, I hear the beeping sound and, and you like, is there something deeper, more connected that I need to figure apart that I need to pick it apart with? And I'm sure Ryan, you have probably done that numerous times because it's been a stretch of years now that, that since you've had this experience. Yeah, you know, like for me, like that whole experience there, that out of body experience, when I finally woke up and then I see that life support machine as I'm laying in there, all of that information that happened prior to the, like when the attack, it comes flooding back into my mind. And it was like the worst headache ever. And I was overwhelmed because I remembered every single thing. I lay back and I cry. And then the next day, obviously, my parents arrived and I realized that I was back on this real world and I was alive. And then that's when I went to progress and move on with my life. But again, I go back to mentioning that many, many people are waiting for disaster to strike to make the decision to decide what they want to do with their life. And like, you don't need to wait for that. Like for me, when I was in a coma, I wasn't conscious to decide whether to switch my life support machine off or not. And it was totally in somebody else's control. Mm. But I've noticed that many people who are alive and well have unconsciously pulled the plug on their own life. Because death is not the greatest loss in life. The greatest loss is what dies inside us while we live. Oh. And the graveyard is one of the wealthiest places on this earth. Just imagine all of those undiscovered and unused talents, skills and abilities that cease to exist. All of those would-haves, could-haves and should-haves that the world never had exposure to. Hmm. And for me, I personally don't want to perish filled with potential. Like your dream life is there right in front of you, but it's down to you and you alone to take that uncomfortable action, to make that decision and to go out there and grab it because we only have one life. And trust me from experience, there is not really many times that you're going to come back from death. So let death be a motivator because I believe death is the greatest of all motivators. So you need to ponder your death and the reality of death every single day. Let the reality of death put urgency into living your life today. Again, I love how you describe things, Ryan. And how the 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 biggest the greatest sadness is the death of us, you know, our dying inside while we're living and and not just losing ourselves and living our lives in this robotic sense of not really knowing uh, what we want to do, how we want to progress, and and not progressing at all. And so you you had this profound experience in your life that the majority of human beings do not experience. What what was the next things that that came to you after that? You you healed yourself and then you went into, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you continued on with work or if you stopped at that point. What was next for you after that experience? Yeah, it's a great, crazy, crazy experience. And obviously there's so much more about that story. But long story short, I obviously woke up over the next couple of weeks. It was like very, very fast. Like progression was rapid. Before you know it, I was out of the coma. This was out, like the tracheostomy come out. I was learned to walk and talk again, obviously, because I, I had the hole in my throat. I was on a Zimmer frame buzzing about the hospital. And then before you know it, in under four, four weeks, they sent me home, said, you can go home for Christmas. And look, I went in. They said, I'm going to die. 
just under four weeks later, they sent me home. Like, this is a miracle. And the doctor said to me when I went one year later, you are a walking miracle. He said, this mm. never happens. So, yeah, when I come out of the hospital, obviously I was frail. I was, I was injured. I was, I was tired. I, my body was aching. And, yeah, the things that I had for many, many years after, the main things was obviously extreme fatigue and constant memory loss. Like, short-term memory loss was awful. I could be having a conversation with you now, face to face, for instance, and I'd forget what we're talking about as we're talking mm. about it. Like it was crazy, and this lasted for years. But look, I was so grateful that I was alive. I was back on Earth, and I've been sent back. Like, I honestly believe, with that out-of-body experience, I've been sent back to this Earth to complete the job that I was yet to finish. And that's why all of those faces were crying. So I was grateful for my life, and I knew that now I had to change my life for the better. You know, going back to those faces, uh, you know, what I was thinking about as you described that, people that you just bumped into into the street, like every single connection that you have had, no matter how great, how small throughout life, it's interweaved into into the the big picture of who we are. We're all so connected. And when you talk about, I, I believe that I came back to complete the job that that I came here to do. I'm very curious about that too and how you felt like you came to that or came to understand what was that that you are are here? What's the message? And um, I also wanted to go back a little bit too with this experience because of my own curiosity, but A, was this something that was was newsworthy? Was it publicized, this um, miracle that happened? Like the doctor said, you're a walking miracle. Mm -hmm. And was justice served for your perpetrators? Yeah, so great questions there. So I'll start with the, the justice that you mentioned, obviously. So obviously when, when I was in hospital to begin with, the police, for instance, were uh, saying that this was a murder case. They treated it as a murder case because they said that he's never coming back from this. Mm. So obviously it was in the local paper at the time saying, like, this boy's been attacked, he's, he's going to die. But then as soon as that's a, as soon as the, uh, as soon as I started to get, say, brain activity, and as soon as I woke up, it literally got dropped straight from murder to, like, nothing. And look, for me, as an 18-year-old boy, I went through the pain, obviously, laying there. My parents went through so much pain, more pain than me, I believe, yeah. because they had to face it every single day. But then you say justice is served. I believe the justice for me is me actually waking up and learning these priceless lessons. But... Justice for the people who attacked me. It went for a period of years going back and forth from court, for instance, and never been to court in my life. As an 18, 19-year-old boy, I ended up turning 19. Going to court, not knowing what court was about and having to try and prove my almost innocence to say, like, this guy's attacked me and I was dead. And they're literally telling me that I'm a liar to my face. It mm. was so hard. Like, I was there in court just crying my eyes out most days. It was so draining on me. So for me to go through that as well was so painful. But then in the end, justice was served. But what is justice for a life? Like how much, how many years can you put on someone's life? Yeah. So for me, it doesn't really matter about the, the justice anymore. Like so many people were saying, oh yeah, because what happened, it went there for, for a murder case and it got dropped down. It kept getting dropped down. It got, got dropped down more and more. I think the guy spent one year in prison, the guy that attacked me, one year in prison. He was out in a year back to living normal life. Like nothing happened. He didn't feel any, say, remorse, for instance. But look, for me, I held on to that pain for a long time. I held on to that pain, that anger, that hate for that person. 
you know, but what's that going to do? All it's causing me is pain. Like mm. holding on to anger is like drinking yeah. poison and expecting the other person to die. But forgiveness yeah. is the antidote. Yeah. And, and I, and I wanted to, to go off of that a little bit, you know, if, you know, when we, I, I just mentioned the faces that you saw and this, this connectedness that we all have. I, I mean, wow. Right. It, you, you are kind of in this other realm, this other dimension, and you see everybody that you've touched in some capacity or who has touched in your some capacity to you. And, you, you know, we talk about forgiveness as well and let this be a lesson learned, right. To, to treat everybody that you come into contact with, with love and, and, and openness, not to allow people to take advantage of you. There's that fine line, right. And, and, and it's a difficult lesson to learn and forgiveness is a difficult lesson or a difficult uh, place to get to, you know, when we've been so harmed, so wrong, this person literally killed you, let's say, right? And and how do you forgive that? And and how do we forgive the people who have taken such advantage of us in, in, in such a horrific way where it alters the course of our life drastically? And, and yet that there's been so many people that have come back from an experience that such as you had that to, to say that it is in the forgiveness of people. And I, I can't fairly say that I can attest to have being there yet. That is a, that is a difficulty. I think for most people is, is to get to that level of, of love that, maybe we should be and maybe that we we should be getting to as a species in order to truly evolve yes so look forgiveness is freedom but forgiveness isn't for for them at all but it's for you it's yeah. to set yourself free because like i mentioned holding on to anger is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die but forgiveness is the antidote to forgive others, not because they deserve forgiveness, but because you deserve peace. Because if you hold on to that past pain for the rest of your life, it may hold you back there forever. So you need to let go and grow. Because just you know, imagine, like, anger, anger is one letter away from the word danger. Anger is the wind that blows out the lamp of the mind. So you need to let go of that anger and trade it for forgiveness in order to then set yourself free so then that you can evolve and become the very best version of yourself. All right. I love this. I want to know how you come up with all of these things. It's brilliant. <laughs> Anger is danger. Um, it's, it's just so, so funny in it. Uh, and, you know, I think truly that the, the, the best form of, of justice, so to speak, is when you are really shining in your light the most, you know, I, I think that for, for the people who have, uh, harmed you throughout life, again, showing people that, that you come out stronger and you're able to lead yourself and others is, is such a huge testament to that. Yeah. So like you mentioned the word there, like coming straight to my mind was like revenge. People want to get revenge when they get wrong done by someone in their life, whether they've been attacked, whether they've been some money stolen, for instance, someone said something bad about them. Many people go out to get revenge on someone. But you know, the best 
the best and the only form of revenge is to forgive them. Don't forget about it. It's okay. Just say, move on. Accept it for what it is. And then become the very best version of yourself. Right. Well, Ryan, that's, that's an incredible story that you shared. Thank you so much for sharing it. We're going to move into our, our sponsorship commercial. And when we get back, I can't wait to hit a little bit more on the next experience that you had. Stay tuned. Hey, it's Jim Morris, founder of Impact Events. This is a six-month program that we're kicking off with a massive one-day conference. Have you ever been to a one-day, two-day, three-day conference and then left with a ton of momentum and excitement and then found yourself deflated almost two weeks later? Spent a lot of money on that conference and you just wish you had an opportunity to potentially ask a speaker that follow-up question that would allow you to break those barriers in your business. I've been there a million times, spent a lot of money, and that's how this event is different. We're gonna bring you back so you can ask additional questions to break down those barriers that you face in your business. So if you're ready to take action, invest in yourself, and change the trajectory of your life and your business, click the button below and grab your ticket before they run out. Ever heard of Stoicism? Chances are, if you have, you've heard of Stoicism with a lowercase s and not Stoicism with an uppercase s. Lone wolves, no emotions, antisocial behavior, cold, indifference, all that is Stoicism with a lowercase s. Stoicism with an uppercase s is the ancient Greek philosophy and virtue ethics framework that centers on service to the cosmopolis, to include your family, friends, community, and planet, and the development of a good moral character. My name is Tanner Campbell, and I'm the host of Practical Stoicism, a three times a week podcast teaching Stoic principles and concepts to anyone interested through the exploration of texts and deep dives into various moral topics. You can find Practical Stoicism where you're already listening to podcasts by searching for Practical Stoicism or by going to stoicismpod.com. I invite you to give it a listen today. You just might like it. So, Ryan, you you have this, I mean, my gosh, you have a very, very long story and and all of the things that really make these big impacts on how you show up in the world today. And I feel like we're, we're going to have to make this a two-part like series uh, into needing to share this with the audience. So I, um, I, I invite you to, to be open to that if you're interested in it. I'd absolutely love to, of course. We're grateful for you tuning in to listen to Ryan Nurse's inspiring journey. Thank you so much for supporting this wellness-driven life show. We are excited to see you on the next journeys and inspiring stories yet to come. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you next time.